I'll just uh, welcome back. Oh, we're back here for the show again. It's a nice little night outside. The weather's a little crisp. It's <laughs> creepy as shit. It's like some like late AM talk radio. So it's cool, 73 degrees right now in Salt Lake City. Uh, if you happen to be outside, just take a chance to look up at the moon there for a minute. Uh, just enjoy the sight. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put that on there, though. Yeah, you should, dude. How, well, what about just for the intro? No, we'll do the intro and then you open it up. <laughs> what? Yeah. What's the intro? All right, well, we'll do. A, we'll do. A, <laughs> I wanted recording. to announce on the intro, like because uh, I wanted to get people to vote for us on you Utah's to... uh, best of state. Hell yeah! All right, go ahead. Oh, we're doing the intro now. I guess. What episode are we on? Uh, that's a good question. Twenty nine, right? I think it's 432. Okay, episode 432. Spider-Man brought to you by two, Alpha Counseling. Alpha Counseling is the largest and most respected provider for justice-involved clients in need of sexual offense-specific treatment services. Alpha has a A-plus rating for the Better Business Bureau and was recently voted number two in the Standard Examiner's 2018 Reader's Choice Awards for Mental Health and Substance Use Treatment Services, as well as top-rated local award for 2018 number two for therapists, psychiatrists in Utah. So uh, for those of you paying attention to this podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would vote for us for the best of state for 2019. We're really looking forward to that. Where can they do that? How do they do that? Man, I should probably have a website ready, right? (laughs) But who needs what? Like, honestly, if you hear websites on like a podcast, you think anybody doesn't go straight to Google and just Type in exactly what they heard. I you think sh- they? I make sure I get the URL exactly as stated on the commercial, so it's really valuable information for me. Right, you're just you're just HTTPS colon backslash back backslash backslash. Right. So just I would imagine you just Google best of state, and if you can't figure it out, I don't want your vote, son. That's not true. We still want it. I'm kidding. One way or another, you figure it out. It's a pretty intuitive website. Please vote for what us. website, though? Best of State website. <laughs> Why are you... Google. Google. It's on, yeah. It's Google.com, Playboy. GeoCities. It's on That's my website, dude. It's cool. It's on Netscape. has a song in the background when you go to it. All right. Okay. What are we talking about tonight? Guilt and shame? Guilt and or shames. Guilt and shame episode and values. 29, it looks like. Oh, episode 29. 432 we was way, way off. off. We got over... Oh, we went over a while back. 20,000 downloads, though. Oh, nice. We're like 21,000, dude. We're oh, taking wow. over. All right. <laughs> We're taking over. <laughs> taking over? For, for social work podcasts in Ogden. I love Joe... Ro- <laughs> <laughs> we are the number one rated social work podcast in all of Ogden. <laughs> There's one. Yeah. We're all right. Let's get into it. Guilt and shame. (laughs) 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 All right. So we apologize. Do these stink? Let me get you my wife. We'll just go with it. We got gym socks over our microphones (laughs) today because I forgot the little covers that make it not so breathy yeah dude i i seriously i turn i I mean don't get me wrong i love hearing myself talk but 
that last one, that last one that we listened to, I got like maybe 10 minutes deep and I was like, man, all these breaths. And when somebody says the P word, just any sounds like a firecracker going off, man, good audio equipment's essential for these damn things. So sorry, sorry, folks, but these socks will do hell. (laughs) We, I mean, we are in Ogden. Probably yeah. gonna pass out from when in Rome. Jeff's gym sock. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, really. Yeah. What it? What is in? Have you ever analyzed your sweat, like ginger sweat? I don't know. What do you think would be in it, man? Like, I think if you sent that, like, if you put drops of, droplets of sweat into one of those twenty three and Me things, yeah, <laughs> they just send you back the sign of the devil. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they just send a bomb to your house. <laughs> Get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, twenty three and Me shuts down the next day. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what's gonna happen to your face. They're talking that close to one of my socks. Gets, I'm getting nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> you Dude, should. Dude. To grab you something better. I don't know what to do. No, have you ever? Have Keep you ever? Talking. I'll grab uh, you something better. Have you ever looked at? Have you ever looked at his laptop? Just his laptop, dude. I think his sweat is eating his keyboard. <laughs> Pull, look at it. Look at that thing. I I, that's I saw hideous. Last one, it was like eating through. Like, the keyboard. I wonder if you, if you, if you, if you, if you, dirt. If you dirt. no. Why is there dirt? Yeah. First of all, are you? Yeah. Are you doing sessions in the desert, bro? Like it's a desert set. <laughs> I love I love you it's take that map. you take that into PC laptops and you're like my keyboard disintegrated. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna cover it, bro. I like watch it. <laughs> now I gotta oh, tank. This man. Been worn, this tank top. All right. That's pretty clean. Because it smells like that sock. <laughs> no, this one's better. All right. It smells like pine. You guys are making me ashamed of my gingivitis are you guilty about it or yeah just well you shouldn't be so this is something that that's what's actually kind of true about shame is you can't change that about yourself you can't change the fact that you're a rotten dirty no good blood-sucking soulless ginger you can't change I that know. about yourself but, but but you could change the fact that you're a narcissistic self-absorbed megalomaniac and you don't yeah, but the funny thing was is he said all those things like they were bad, like <laughs> as if those are insults. <laughs> that's true, yeah. <laughs> well, clear, yeah, okay, clearly not. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Playboy. Speaking of, have you watched that documentary yet on Netflix about Ted Bundy? Oh, no, oh no, yeah. No. That's awesome. Dude. I didn't know he escaped twice. Why is he? Why is no, he? Three like, times. Was it three times? It was three times. Dude, why is he my favorite serial killer? There's like, just, I don't know. There's just something about it. Well, the thing is, is I don't know. I don't mean to say it like that. Like, I mean, serial killers are bad. He's I get intrigued. it. Thanks, Dad. But what I'm saying is he's just awesome. Like, I mean, if you listen to Charles Manson's story, I mean, like, he just got a bunch of bums high on freaking acid all the time, and they listen to him. Like, that's not... I could do that today. I don't know if awesome is the word. Awesome's the word, bro. No. Ted Bundy was well, a dirtbag. Okay, but you're, say, you're saying awesome, like, is in it, is, it's got to be positive. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that... How do you define awesome? Well, again, too, it's like Jeffrey Dahmer, he got just dudes to come over who were probably ugly anyway and then ate them, right? Like, that's... <laughs> I mean, th- there's like Ted Bundy. There's a charisma there. There was like some manipulative. There was something. Weird there was something there. about that guy that just separated him from all the rest of them. You know what I mean? The only other one that I compare him to, and it's kind of different because the times were different, was H. H. Holmes, because that dude he was, was that doctor, right? Yeah, he was that doctor, and it was kind of the World's Fair, and and but I mean, nobody investigated anything back then. Same like thing the- with uh, L. L. Bean. LL Cool J. LL Bean is LL Cool J's brother. 
<laughs> no, I agree with you. There's something about Ted Money that was just well, like, do, in a morbid, like a, appealing way. You just wanted well, to like. I always just want to know more about. Well, him. I love we it when little kids it. when yeah. he got executed, and I got. I, I, I remember being scared of him when I was when I was growing up. I didn't you know realize that I was kind of not really in his victim profile at the time. I was scared of him and Saddam Hussein. Remember, uh, and I'm well, going to nine. Man. You're safe. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> <I know. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no more fear. But yeah, but Bundy, it, it, he always kind of has lurked in the back of my head as someone compelling. Again, I don't know about Awesome, though. He's a colossal I'm not, asshole. Dude, Awesome doesn't necessarily have a positive context to it. I'm just saying there was he was just different than all the rest of them. Kind of like, the way that uh, Genghis Khan's awesome. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Kind of the way that Genghis Khan is awesome. Right, I right. mean, like, I'm not saying like, Oh yeah, I, like I admire him. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that. I mean, because like I even you compare him to dudes like H. H. Holmes. Those were back in the day murders, like the most prolific serial killer of all time. I'm like, bro, that sh- that shit happened in the 1800s. Like, yeah. there was no law enforcement back then. You killed like a thousand people. People were like so. Like that's it. That's that's as much investigation as there was. You well, know, what's really weird is I don't know if you guys have watched it, but it's just. Because it, it wasn't technically that long ago, but the huge disconnect between law enforcement because there was no internet. So, like, they had that guy, well, he was in Florida and just wouldn't give him his name. Yeah. And so they just couldn't find out who he was. We're like, that wouldn't fly today. They would immediately know who you are. The yeah, only, they were holding on to him for days or like a week or something. He was just wouldn't give him the name. The only so other one that was, was that was like on on that level, although he didn't have as many murders, and I don't know if that makes you like higher status or something, was like the Zodiac Killer. Cause, but with him, he just talked a bunch of crap. Like, I mean, there wasn't a ton of other, like, murderers who were, oh. like, actively talking crap to the police through the newspaper and writing all these, like, you know, intricate things. And and he was never caught, too. I mean, there's just... So, I'm, I'm not saying, again, everybody's fascinated by murderers. I'm not, like, sicko. I mean, I haven't even watched those things yet, because you guys have watched it's pretty them. pretty good. It's good. Well, I, mean, I just wanted to clarify, because, I mean, you're not that different, than, than Ted Bundy? Than Ted Bundy. I mean, save for the fact that I can't prove you haven't killed anybody. He, he murdered but, Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure that you're drawing a clear line of distinction. Well, so here's the difference, my friend, is an antisocial uh-huh. would would screw himself over at the expense of another person because they just don't really care that much. I think you're also that. A narcissist would not ever put himself at peril at the expense of another person. But you're both, though. No. No, friend. No. Dude, and I, if I, I am, I'd, if I am, I'd get away with it, Playboy. <laughs> I've watched enough forensic files to to know how to do that all the way around. That's true. That's right. Yeah. I don't know. You get caught nowadays. There's too much. Damn. We aren't talking about this, though. What are we talking about? We're talking about Law and Order. Guilt SVU. and shame. We're ta- law and Order SVU. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Guilt and shame in sex offender treatment. So... Uh, so basically, when we bring this topic up, it's kind of a it's an important topic to a lot of clients because, um, I guess old school or antiquated type of interventions have a whole. There you can call them shame based. I don't know how necessarily to define that other than exactly what it sounds like. Is I'm, I'm doing a lot of interventions to bestow shame onto a person. So one of the things we're going to talk about is the difference between shame and guilt today. For those of you who don't know, I mean, there is a really distinct difference. And uh, help you guys kind of recognize the destructive effects of shame. Also, what can we do to learn to cope with shame and then learn like to use guilt in kind of a healthy manner and link that with our values. So our values are are something that is important that should guide our behaviors. So that's when we bring this topic up, this has a whole lot to do with um, 
managing my emotions, but also who I choose to spend my time with in terms of how they're, you know, defining characteristics about me. So, right? That's about right. Yeah. yeah, Well, and I was just going to say, just to provide some context and you guys can weigh in here, but maybe if we talked just briefly about why traditional or maybe more antiquated treatment programs would drive up the shame. And I mean, early on in my career, that that was sort of the, the the way that it was done, and the idea was that these guys come equipped with all of these psychological defenses that absolve themselves of responsibility, and therefore, to get cut through all that stuff, you have to break them down and hold them accountable, and even overemphasize it by making them say the most extreme version of whatever their offense was, so that they would you know, be made to use words like force, you know, even when there wasn't necessarily force in the way that we define it. Also, it wouldn't be uncommon for a therapist to call a client a monster. It wouldn't be uncommon for a therapist to have a client stand in the middle of a group room and to basically levy a firing squad such that all the people in the group would basically get um, bonus points for finding some way to tear down what the guy in the hot seat was in terms of uh, the way he was describing his offense. And again, I think the the idea was you have to break them down and then build them back up again. And I think that statement has actually been said by several of our uh, clients that have maybe been subject to that is that they've actually been told by therapists from that old school that the idea is to break them down and cut through all the psychological defenses and manipulations that allowed them to cover up and justify what they did. So I, I think that that's, I mean, that's my understanding of the intention behind the old way. Is there anything that you guys have seen with that? Well, how does that then, so let me ask you a question on that. So how does that then translate into less likely to reoffend? Well, I, th- I think the idea is that accountability is the hallmark, was the hallmark for uh, sex offender treatment. The idea being that until you fully acknowledged what it is that you did, <laughs> Uh, you, you can't really make any steps forward in treatment. And then with empathy, a big for- focus was on victim impact. The idea being that you, you, you have to get the offender to see just how cr- catastrophic their actions were on on their victim and how much of a dirtbag they were for putting their victim through that. And only then, once they understand that, will they be less likely to do it again. I believe. Okay. Well, fair enough, but I disagree with both of those principles. Um, You understand I'm not backing it, right? I understand that. I mean, I think anybody who's thinking that just, uh, I mean, you get to have an opinion on this, but um, I'm just not sure if that's the right approach because, okay, so, so the accountability piece, here's my problem with the accountability piece. What I want is accuracy when I want a client to be accountable and responsible for their behaviors. And I want them to be responsible for what they did, not not for anything beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, yes, responsibility for that is important, and I can be patient with that, but I want an accurate statement. So to me, I mean, if, if you're trying to tell me, if you're telling me that, okay, if I describe my offense and maybe it's lesser than what you expected, so for example, if I say, well, um, 
I, I, I was intoxicated and, um, you know, I didn't pay much attention to this girl. She was attractive. She told me she was 19. I believed her. We went and had intercourse. I didn't know much about her. It was a really impulsive decision. I really should have thought about it. Come to find out she was only 15. Um, okay. You can make speculations on that. I'm full of shit that I don't, I, I should have known her age, all the rest of that. That's fine. Um, but it, you know, and in this case, we talk about was the victim cooperative with this or were they, you know, and not consent, consenting. So we kind of make a distinguishing there. So if they are cooperative. All right. So if you tell me then, nope, you can't say it that way. The only thing you can say is you groomed this girl and you raped this girl and then you tried to cover it up or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the only narrative that I can give you that you'll accept as my treatment provider. Yes. Um, one of two things are going to happen. I'm just going to tell you that or I'm not, right? In in either case, I don't know if I ever come to believe that, though. I might look at that rationally and say, well, I'll get kicked out of this program if I don't tell them that that way. So I'm just going to tell them that that way. And maybe I'll try to shed a tear or two when it's happening. But I'm not really going to believe what I'm telling you. Because in my mind, I know what happened, right? And I have my own language to describe that. And I think accountability, like the language is important at times. But overemphasizing what happened, I don't think that does anybody any good. Because it's, it's if I, I guess... If I'm overemphasizing what I did, that's just as bad as underemphasizing. I'm still not getting to the accurate truth as to what I need to focus on to avoid that from happening again. And that's just my opinion on accountability. I don't think you can go, you know, another direction with that. Well, yeah. So the the success of that style then would be that you get a bunch of dudes really good at parroting back a canned statement, a, a template of it's essentially words. a it's essentially a permission slip to manipulate me right it's a permission slip to lie to me this is literally what i want to hear okay your turn go tell yeah. me what i want to hear so but that is that is uh kind of how it was yeah but i mean i don't know justin don't you don't you kind of see these guys like coming into our program a lot of the times and it's almost like they have their own language like it's like they have this this it's like prison talk oh yeah yeah well that and also you can tell people that have been through the ringer therapy wise because i like I'll, i was just starting a new group and doing the whole like kind of getting to know you like what's a typical week look like you know what are you looking to get out of group and since some guys are like just oh yeah i just want to learn more about myself you know it feels like it's a pretty honest answer and then you'll get the one guy who's like and I, I don't blame him but you get the one guy who's like i really would like to find more insight to my cycle and find healthy ways to cope with you know i'm like dude come on. what do you really <laughs> just a robotic that's answer the whole thing, my thought is okay what do you really want to get out of the group though like, mm-hmm. he's just learned what he has to parrot in order to get through and i think that's the exact thing knowing if if me going home or getting out of here depends on me just saying something that makes you feel good yeah, yeah. I, I like the glazed over look in your eyes you got when you're imitating yeah. that too. that's they what it totally get sounds far like. away thousand yard stare yeah it's yeah. like every four and, he, and they say it with no emotion or yeah like, i want to learn more about my offense cycle and that empathy and not exactly uh, genuine well the well the second piece to your question jeff is for or i guess that that approach that empathy piece i mean we've talked about this a few different times and i know we have uh, podcast is going to be focused in the future exclusively on empathy. But I mean, I, I, I really think that anybody who thinks about empathy really needs to just look it up in a dictionary. I mean, just look it up. Okay. And, and especially if you're going through, um, like read through a motivational interviewing book just once and they'll talk about empathy in a lot of ways. It's all about neutrality. It's not, it has nothing to do with empathy 
is a guarantee that that's going to stop something. And I get, I get the premise. Like I, I, if I would have known the harm that I was causing or the long-term causes that I could harm, then, then I likely would have stopped. But again, you're kind of counting on that dude to give a shit about that person. Not to mention too, the other thing is, is if I'm accurately assessing empathy with a person. And I think sometimes about like, um, an easy, an easy talk about that is like, if you think about some of those attractive teachers that have offended on high school boys, right? And how many guys, maybe even in this room right now, were, were thinking to themselves, well, where was that teacher when I was 16 years old, right? So if we're accurate in our empathy for those kids, they were digging what was going on, right? Now, never mind the fact that maybe when they're in their mid-20s or 30s or whatever, their views on sex and sexuality may be all messed up. I get that. What I'm saying is at that moment, if the offender was trying to pay attention to how that person felt and imagine what it felt like from their world, from their worldview, empathy wouldn't have stopped them. Empathy would have encouraged it more at that point. Because if you're asking me to say, okay, I'm not going to do something to this person because of something that may happen to them in the future, that's not empathy. That is statistical compassion is what you're asking me for. So you're asking me to pay attention to things that may happen to this person based on all the other people it's happened to, and it's more likely than not that it's going to happen, and because of that, you want me to have compassion. Okay, that's fine. Then teach it appropriately. I want you to, I'm going to teach you about statistical compassion, and even then, you're counting on somebody to give a shit. If you're asking me to motivate my behaviors or lack thereof on the potential consequences to somebody outside of me that is in the future, like that is so far removed from me. Like there's hardly any self-interest in that whatsoever. And I mean, it's not really self-interest isn't a bad thing. If, I mean, those people were looking out for themselves, they wouldn't have done those things because they ended up in prison. Right. So, I mean, I, I get where they're coming from. I know they're trying to say, yeah, you should feel more for this other person. But unfortunately, some people don't like they just don't. And sometimes for good reasons, too. Like if you think about uh, uh, Jeff doesn't watch it, but you've watched Game of Thrones, right? Kind of. You don't what? (laughs) You haven't watched Game of Thrones? Half an episode, I think. Oh, my (laughs) God. About as far through that I've got, bro. Dude, there's like there's like the well, for those of you listeners who have (laughs) more than one brain cell, I guess if you watch that. There, there's a part. There's a part on there with this. There was a spoiler alert. There's this king, uh, King Joffrey. He's like this really wicked little piece of you know garbage, and he dies, and he dies in the best possible way. Like, and you're like, yes, you know, you're like so excited that he. But it's like a, it's a teenager dying from being poisoned, and he's like ripping his own throat out to stop the poison from going down. You're like, finally, he got it. You know, and like every, I'm like. Yeah, there's bad people sometimes, and you wish them to get their come up. And sometimes you're not sad when somebody gets what's coming to them. So, again, I, I'm just not sure empathy is always going to save these dudes. It's a, well, it's a bad think, tactic. I think, especially when it's overemphasized, <coughs> I would say on the average, most clients I meet with already have horrible self esteem or self image. So, exactly. if they're coming into this thinking they've never meant anything, and then all you're doing is telling them how they've hurt other people, then they're going to be like, yeah, see. I am a piece of crap. That, that's, mm-hmm. that's a good. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a, a time and a place for that conversation, but when it's overemphasized, I think you end up really getting the opposite effect well, that you're looking for. I mean, you you have to have compassion for yourself or care about yourself, or or you know, but in order to even begin to care about what you're putting other people through. And so, mm-hmm. a lot of these dudes that are entering into treatment are already feeling pretty low. Um, asking them or I guess trying to teach them empathy 
but I mean, it's short-sighted, which is what Mace brought up, and that it maybe looks good on paper, but in actualization in real life, it, it doesn't really uh, match up as a very good relapse prevention measure, but, but also that they're not equipped for it, man. Mm-hmm. Like with, with what you're saying, they, you, you have to care about maybe yourself first before you could even begin to care about other people. And yeah, that the, a lot of these guys aren't there yet. So again, I guess just, be, I mean, I feel like we can, if, unless you guys have more to say on it, I feel like well, we and, can move and, into how destructive shame is. Well, and the but, thing is, they may never, like Mace was saying, they may never get there. So if I base it off that, then where do I go? But if we go more kind of the route that we do, like, okay, let's just say it is all about you. How is acting on this and going back to prison making you a priority? That uh, makes way more sense. It's not. Yeah. Well, right. That's, I think a lot of times they'll grab onto that more than they will talking about it. Of course. People. Of course. Like, I'm not saying never talk about it. Not having empathy for another person is a useful skill and it's and it's and it's good to have compassion. Just don't count on it. And secondly not as a relapse prevention. No, right. no. I think clients get to a certain point and then well, especially what you're talking about, if if I if I'm sh- if I feel shameful about what I've done, again, if a person doesn't give a crap about themselves, why are they going to care about somebody else? And I'm not again. I know they should. I know that's what you should do. But I'm just saying the reality is they just yeah. don't. I need to get them, you know, from point A to point B. Like, you know, empathy wise, going back to Ted Bunny, dude had a ton of empathy. He was right. a master at yeah. it, really good at it, and he used that to manipulate other people to get what he wanted, and it's obviously really harmful. So. Part of that is we just got to break through some of the shame stuff. So I don't know, but, but should we talk about kind of what the difference is between guilt and shame then? So yeah. people kind of have an understanding about that. Yep. So, yeah, uh, if I was going to do a quick synopsis, guilt is when you feel <laughs> bad about something you've done. Shame is when you feel bad about who you are. So guilt, <clears throat> look, guilt can be useful. Guilt is, it's necessary. It's, it's important to be able to recognize that you screwed up. You know, that, that feeling, that crappy feeling, that punch in the gut feeling that you get when you feel guilty about, you know, either breaking your own personal value, hurting somebody that you love, maybe in a more general sense, causing damage to society, you know, like, like, like whatever it is, that punch in the gut feeling can actually be a useful intervention provided that you like yourself Otherwise, you know, beyond that, you know, that because, you know, if you have if you have a set of values and in violating those values, you feel some guilt because it doesn't line up with who you like to say that you are as a man or who you try to be, then, yeah, your, your behavior is in is out of it, out of accordance with that which you say you value. And you, you feel like shit about it, and that can serve as a motivator to, to change some behaviors. Shame, on the other hand, it's, it, that, that's a motivation sucker. You know, it's when you, when you don't even feel good about who you are. So that goes back to Justin, what you're saying, dude, like a, a client that's feeling uh, shame and they, they hate themselves. They, they maybe say things, you know, they tell themselves they're worthless, they're a monster, you know, the types of things that uh, sex offender treatment used to do in the past as a part of curriculum. Um, then uh, it's it's uh it it doesn't lead to any. There's no motivation for positive change because again, you feel like you're a piece of shit. So why try? Well, yeah, and that's that's how I tend to look at the difference. That where shame is just it. That's it. It's a label. Then that's it. There's no forward momentum with that. There's nothing that's going to happen. It just stops there. Where guilt is at least like a direction forward. I view that's like solution oriented. Like I feel guilty for something I did. 
I want to repair it or I want to avoid it so I don't feel that again. Where shame, it just kind of stops. Like I'm, I'm whatever label, and then that's just the end of the equation. That's yeah. it. Where, where guilt is more like I, I sense that like repair comes from that or trying to move forward or trying to fix something or trying to resolve something. Yeah, it's motivating, yeah. right? Like I mean, I think there was a uh, well, I saw some dumb. <clears throat> poster or quote or something like that had like Johnny Depp on there nice. and he's like live life with no regrets I'm like oh my god Johnny <laughs> you, sh- you should have regretted a lot of the things you've done dude like buying all those houses Playboy yeah, and beat your wife I'm just kidding yeah <laughs> you should have regretted that movie Transcendence <laughs> but um, I'm sure Johnny Depp's a nice guy what I'm saying is always like regrets are good regrets are a really good thing for guiding my future behavior because if, if I've done something that I feel like again violates my value system. That's that's and it feels like crap. That's good. This is also exactly why shooting the moon in terms of like I want you to take more accountability than you actually deserve for this doesn't compute very well. Because if you like I I, I don't know. I guess I try to think about some of the things like uh, a lot of the accusations that have came out recently against, you know, like celebrities and um for sexual this and that and the other. And I'm not I'm not like trying to say that uh you know nobody's ever done i mean there's a lot of people have done a lot of horrible stuff right but i'm saying if you're gonna tell me that you know like trying to ask a girl buy trying to buy a girl a drink in a bar is now that's sexual abuse okay now you want me to feel guilty about that that's gonna be i'm not gonna ever do that i'm not i'm gonna think it's preposterous i'm gonna think what you're trying to sell me is silly so if you go overboard on the accountability you're trying to give to me, I'm not going to buy into it. I'm going to think it's silly and I'm not going to, you know, take it into stride. Now, the other effect is <clears throat> if I start to somehow program that into myself and say I'm convinced myself that I'm a piece of shit, I think you're actually making somebody more dangerous at that point. If somebody is convinced that they're not worth, you know, the the ground they're walking on, uh why what what would motivate them to stop hurting you or somebody that you care about what's going to stop them if they don't have a stake in themselves or care about themselves why on earth would they care about you that that's i think that's an important piece that maybe people don't look at is that oh i mean i'm going to make it sound like we're all selfish but in a way we are i mean people are motivated by you know kind of what's in it for me and again the what's in it for me might include people I love they, that what's in it for me might include the things that I value, which can be, you know, nice charitable things, but ultimately it comes down to what, you know, like what, what I get out of it. Yeah. And like, I, if I feel like I'm an effective dude, if I feel like <clears throat> I have the ability to get things done, if I have the ability to like set a goal and get to it, if I feel like people love me, if I feel like I have a good set of friends around me that have my back or whatever it is, then, then I, I can actualize that if, if it's, if the opposite's true and I've been, I've had it beaten to my head from maybe some life history factors or, and then I have a therapist, uh, piling on board and further compounding how, how shitty I feel about myself. What, where's the motivation to do anything positive? The, the motivation is going to be to do stuff that feels good right here in the moment because what's the difference? And those types of things that make us feel good right here in the moment are usually the things that get people into trouble. Well, that's funny how you said that too, like the, the selfish side of it, like being selfish in a good way. Going back to guilt, why would I not say something hurtful to someone I care about? Yeah, there's a part of because they'll feel bad. But ultimately, I'll feel bad that they felt bad because if I didn't care, 
I would just say it. So <laughs> in a way, some of that stuff kind of is selfish on a certain level. It's like, I don't want to do that because I don't want to feel bad about it. Like They'll feel bad too, but I'm going to feel bad that they felt bad. So in some ways, it kind of is a, a self-serving <laughs> well, the Well, the selfish, yeah. kind of the way I distinguish between those two, I think there's selfish and self-interest. Selfish, I, 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 at least I describe this to my clients, is selfish is you benefiting at another person's expense, okay? So I, I've got some ice cream and Justin wants some and I say, nope, you can't have any of my ice cream. Justin goes without ice cream and I get all the ice cream, okay? Oh, so man. I benefit from Justin not getting ice cream, all right? Self-interest would be like, okay, well, I'm going to give Justin some ice cream today because next time he has some ice cream and I don't have ice cream, I want some of that ice cream, right? I'm doing that because it's probably a good idea that I'm doing that. Now, not everybody computes it that way. Some people, because the other direction is, I'm just going to do this because I think it's important to share, all right? But now we're talking about a value. We're talking about a value here. No matter what, if you think about the most benevolent people on the history of planet Earth, so you think about like Mother Teresa and Gandhi and the Dalai Lama, everything they ever did was guided on self-interest. And I know that sounds horrible, but it's true. If Like Mother Teresa, I think when you're a nun... I, I know people are going to get mad at me here probably. I think like you're, you're none, you're kind of married to God, you know, or married to Jesus or whatever. I think that's kind of how it goes. And anyway, you have a calling, you have a, you know, something that you do here on earth and that's part of what you're here for, right? Well, that was because it was a set of values, whether they're prescribed through her religion or not, she nevertheless lived up to those values that were important to her and it was self-interest that guided her motive. Did a lot of people benefit from Mother Teresa? Of course they did. That doesn't make her a selfish person. Yeah, to be clear, she was, that doesn't diminish anything that she did. No. no if, it's just a, it's an accurate description of the motivation. If everybody acted in self-interest all the time, the world would be the most peaceful place. We would never have war. We never Because why would you do those things knowing the consequences of your actions could come back on you? If everybody acted in self-interest, we would never do those things. It doesn't make any sense if you really start to play out the, the play the tape the whole way through. Maybe maybe uh, would it be more accurate to say uh, long-term self-interest? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Sure. I mean, if you're just wrapped up in short-term gratification. Yeah. Gratification is in self-interest, but I think gratification... Well, potentially lo- selfish, though, potentially. Sure. The long-term stuff, the long-term stuff is hard because it's like watching water boil. Yeah. I mean, you can't really... The long-term stuff, the biggest reward, essentially, that you're going to get is hitting a point where you can look back and say, Look at all that I've accomplished. That That's an amazing feeling. I've been able to do that before for myself. I mean, I'm not really anything special, but I'm, I'm kind of proud of what I've been able to accomplish. But I, that's about as good as it's going to get. There's never going to be a time along the way where it's like as gratifying as something is as that, that, you know, is instant, that is really harmful to other people at the same time. That. Sorry, did you have something? No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I, uh, something I was going to bring up, this this might be a good way to jump off on that, is, all right, so so a typical, I guess, maxim or statement that we often hear clients say and even encourage them to say is that, you know, I am not a sex offender. I'm somebody that committed a sex offense. You know, I mean, it's that it's, people say that to the point of cliche now. But, you know, the, the idea being that, a sex offender is somebody that actively sexually offends a sex offense, you know, is, is a behavior that was committed. But if you're not a, you know, if you're, 
you're just a human being. You know, you're you're a person that did this behavior, but that doesn't doesn't currently currently define who you are. But I've been a little more cautious lately in encouraging that uh, idea. And again, I 100% agree with it. But there's a lot of times when you know a person has made genuine change. You know, it's like all right, the the dude that committed this sex offense, you know, seven years ago is a very different person than this man that sits in front of me today in my office. Like I can tell because his lifestyle is different here, here, and here. He's made these changes. I can hear through the way he speaks and represents himself that he thinks differently about things. He can genuinely say that he is not a sex offender. He's somebody that committed a sex offense. There's a lot of people I think a lot of clients that get into the program, they hear that and it feels good and it sounds good, but they haven't done the legwork yet Mm -hmm. to actually change. Like maybe they're not actively committing a sex offense right then and there, but you know, a, a, a few questions deep into a session with them, I can pretty quickly see that they're still, you know, shifting blame for some things. They're lying and deceiving their you know, uh, kind of telling you again, what you want to hear. You can, you can tell that their interactions with other people in their life are manipulative. Their, you know, their, their job, their, you know, their employment's unstable, like all these different things. And I feel like to be able to truly say that you've, you've changed, it has to show up behaviorally in some other ways, because I don't even know if the, a client believes it themselves. If a, if a client hasn't made genuine change, you know, tangible things that they can look back on, behaviors that they've modified, ways of thinking that they used to think this way, now they think this new way, they know their words are hollow as well. They know that it's just a statement. They know that it's just, oh, I'm not a sex offender. I'm someone that committed a sex offense. Like, well, shit, prove it, bro. Like, what have you done? How are you different? Show me how you think differently. And I think once clients are able to, like, demonstrate that, it feels genuine to them because it's actually real. And it's not just some banal platitude that we that that we just um, blurred out in therapy because it feels good. So I, I guess I've been... I 100% agree with it still, but I've been a little more reserved, a little more, I guess, uh, judicious in actually uh, pushing that on to guys kind of new into treatment. Yeah. The biggest thing about that is, I think for clinicians, is stop trying to control language in your group. Like, let it be organic. I mean, you can't just, I mean, you can't like be talking about inappropriate stuff and, you know, like not having any good conversations. What I'm saying is, is that if you're having a group and a client calls, you know, uh, so like for an example, right? Um, If uh, in the past it's been a person says my victim, right? Versus the person I victimized. Okay. I understand the difference between those two statements. But if I just tell you the person I victimized and I tell you the rationale behind it, um, whether or not you're actually going to believe that is really hard to measure. You're just telling me what I told you to say so you don't get in trouble. So language change over time in terms of my responses and, and behaviorally in, in, in therapy is really important. Because if I notice somebody, some guy says, 
certain things and I, and I bring those up in a non-judgmental and non-confrontational way and just say, well, yeah, let's, let's play that out. Like, let's say you maintain that way of thinking and let's, let's see what feelings that evokes, what behaviors that lead to and what are the likely consequences. Okay. Now let's reel it back. What, what's a more balanced way of thinking about this? What are the feelings that's going to evoke? What are the behaviors? What are the consequences to that? And I've planted a little bit of a seed. Now, three months later, I might see some, some change in their language. They start to think differently. They start to speak differently. And there's my change. There's my, and of course that should translate into their behaviors theoretically, if they're taking it seriously. But if I never give them the opportunity to organically tell me where they are by the language that they use, you know, then how would I ever measure that? How would I measure any progress other than you're just turning in assignments? I've got to have some other measurement. So that's important too. I mean, just shaming them into saying, you got to say this, that, you know, that, I just don't think that's very helpful. Man, the, the, the only way that we can truly assess if these guys are thinking different about things is based on just the little – just the the stuff that comes up in conversation. You can tell us somebody thinks about the world or how they think about themselves or how they think about their relationship with people by the way they describe things and and their day-to-day interactions. You, you can tell a lot about how somebody operates just hearing them – maybe uh, talk about their work, you know, and their relationship with their boss and coworkers and what they bring up. And if if their speech is controlled because we have this weird um, idea of these words are banned, these words are good to go, we never see that. Well, yeah, the the one thing, and I want to hear what you guys have to say on this, there was just a, I won't share the details, but what I will say is that there were some changes in kind of how, behaviors were were um recorded and documented and and uh i guess sanctions were given out at um um at one of our inpatient facilities right and um a lot of the so this is by the correctional staff right and i think clients make a huge mistake here like don't, why are they expecting correctional staff to be therapists like you know what i mean act like they're, yeah, like, they're, they're well the thing is like Correctional staff and police officers should act like police officers. Like that's what their job is. Different jobs. And it's security based. Like the thing is, is is I'm never ever going to think that the way that they do because I just don't think in that mind. It's not a bad way of thinking. Like an example I always use is when an officer told me one time about um, not leaving uh, – not leaving a bag of of I had like Cheetos or something. Well, I didn't have Cheetos, but there was Cheetos in the in the trash can. And he asked me if those were mine. I said no. Nah. <clears throat> he said you can't leave those in here. And I was like, well, what are they gonna do? Cut me with a bag of Cheetos? And he said, well, f- flip that open. He showed me how the inside is silver, right? The inside of the bag is silver. And he said, so what happens is, is they replace their razors with a little piece of that. And it looks like they have a razor <laughs> when they've turned that into a weapon. Now, my mind never would have gone there. So part of this is I have to suspend the fact that I just don't know certain things. And I have to take, take into account that they know how to do their job. But if you guys noticed the way that they responded, some clients are just like, yeah, man, it you know it sucks, but this is just this is just something that we all got to get used to and get over. And you know, it's it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Here's how it's going to go. And others were like, "This is the end of the world." Well, the the clients who are now telling me that this little shift in how they do things, which by the way, folks, was not astronomical, this little shift in how they administer things, and this little minor rule changes in how they do this. <laughs> um, we're now showing me that you have zero problem-solving skills, your emotional management is horrible, 
and this and what you've been telling me, I have to question what you've been telling me so far in treatment because this should be easy for you to handle and wrap your mind around. I'm no criminal mastermind, but I think being able to adapt to this system is really easy. And some clients like totally fell apart about it and were super mad. And the other clients kind of like, like, that's not that big of a deal. We can get around it. I don't know. Did you guys notice kind of the same thing? Yeah, it was almost like there was no middle ground. People just either rolled with it. It was like, yeah, it is what it is. Or it was like a total freak out. Well, as a therapist, <clears throat> I remember feeling impressed with some of my clients that took it in stride. And just like, well, yeah, kind of sucks, but whatever. It's it's all good. I I'm doing what I need to do in this program, and I'll adjust. I'll make it happen. I'll get out of here. Like, th- and again, these guys, it, it seemed very real. And like to me, that's evidence of problem solving. That's evidence of emotion management. That's evidence of not being, you know, an impulsive, you know, whatever. As opposed to people that, again, have the appearance of doing well, again, guys that might be well-spoken and, and be adept at using these templated responses of how you're supposed to say, but watching them lose it and, you know, start grieving all, you know, everybody and uh, talking about how the system's against them and how it's all about this and, you know, kind of going that conspiratorial route that a lot of these dudes uh, go down like less than impressed, man. Like you're not showing me much as far as managing your world, you know? And, and, and so when you get out of here, it's like how, your frustration tolerance sucks, dude. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I've been way more impressed with the guys that just sort of roll with it. I, I've had a chance to turn it into, well, there's been two consecutive groups now where, uh, the, the topic that we teach in the CBISO curriculum um just found a way to adapt it to their adaptation to these rule changes and a lot of them pick right up on it they get it and that's what we're looking for i'd way rather you know feel good about seeing how this guy handles this new rule change and watching him adapt on the fly than listening to him or, or i guess listening to him uh throw out some, you know, I, I, Justin, you did a pretty good imitation of like the, the typical client speak or the therapy speak. You know, I, I, I really wanted to just learn about my red flags and the high risk situations <laughs> that led to my assault cycle through the pretend normal phase of the justification of like, what, dude, shut up. You know, what did you, what does yeah. that mean? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's I don't know, real. but That's I'm reading real. the four promises. I don't know, but, uh, am I done yet? Or, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I read Ender's Game, though. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to like you were saying earlier, Jeff. Like, you can definitely tell the difference between someone who says, "Yeah, I'm not a sex offender. I committed a sex offense at one point," and someone who's just regurgitating that. Because I think, mm-hmm. I think that, like you were saying, if someone has that as their their go to statement, you know, recorrecting that in group, I think people just coming in. Or they'll say that, but they don't even know what that really means. They don't understand the separation until they've gotten further into treatment. So <laughs> you know, when you just start to throw that out there for the hell of it, it has no weight to it. I, I, and potentially, well, I was going to say it removes the impetus for change. I, do, I mean, yeah. I doubt that statement by itself would. But I mean, it, it, in a way, if could if, be a way to justify. I, yeah. yeah, it seems yeah. like it, right? 
I mean, it, it, the whole idea is behavioral change. And there's a lot of dudes in our group, especially guys that have di- been there, done that in therapy, that have done the legwork to make themselves different. And they're typically the group leaders. They're typically the ones that'll, that'll say such a statement. And so the, the new guys coming in that haven't done the work on actually modifying the way they respond to their world might, might hear that take it and run with it without mm. having to maybe after they leave group going home and thinking like, well, shit, what, man, what do I need to change? What do I need to work on? Cause they already can just get, uh, let themselves out of the hook by saying, well, I'm not a sex offender. I just committed a sex offense. You know? And yeah. Yeah. May, yeah. Like you said, justification maybe. But going back to where we were talking about some of the rule changes and people like you said, their frustration tolerance, like that's, that's the route I try to go with it. And it's like, okay, I get, you know, there's petty rules and you have to live with it. And that's really difficult. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that, but petty rules are going to exist in every aspect of your life for the rest of your life, whether it's work, your landlord in a relationship, you're always going to have these that you're, if you, is your go-to just going to be freaking out every time and just until you get your way, like you're going to be a very lonely person. Yeah. That's how I try to learn. I'm like, if think if you can manage this problem, solve, think ahead a little bit, if you can get through this, how much easier is your probation or your parole going to be if you if you have a if you work on your frustration tolerance focusing right. on the things you can control as opposed to just getting mad about everything you don't like is there's there's an endless supply of that mm-hmm. if that's what we want to focus on well the difference is is I just don't think we it computes that way in our own minds or other people's minds like think about if you've ever worked at a place of employment and so one of the things that they, they really dislike these our clients is this idea of this mass punishment, right? So one guy does one thing wrong, and then as a matter of an executive rule change, now everybody is affected by this. Okay, well, doesn't that happen at any place of employment? Somebody does something incredibly yeah. stupid, and then that changes policy for everybody there moving forward. But people don't look at this as like like – punishment it's a hurdle that makes life more difficult you know like oh jim you know Mm -hmm. leaving his used condoms in the garbage you know (laughs) or or whatever it is now we all can't have our own garbage cans you know i don't know what (laughs) What? i know (laughs) but that's true well probably like i'm not gonna tell you where i've worked i wonder what percentage of just laws in general are because some people messed up, so the rest of us have to follow certain laws that probably would never be an issue for us otherwise. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So, so yeah, I mean, it, that's 100%. What about all the warning labels on things? No, but, yeah, yeah, seriously, it's it, – you, you brought up that, you know, landlords, employers, uh, probation officers when they hit the streets – like there's there's gonna there's gonna be shit they don't like come up and so again their their ability to adapt to this now does translate to then I you know I I, mean, I know that's an exact repetition of what you just said but I think we have to do that with our clients sometimes is legitimately connect the dots for them well I think there's also a disconnect where sometimes the the thinking gets so black and white that it's if if you're even if you even have the conversation with me about this, it means you also have to like the rule and totally agree with it. It's like, no, I'm not saying that at all. You you're you can totally think this is the dumbest thing ever, but let's problem solve how exactly. I look at it this way, like no matter what that rule's in place, you're not gonna change it. So you can either have the rule and be totally miserable and dig yourself a hole, or you can have the rule and learn to roll with it and move on. So like either way the rule is gonna be there. Mm-hmm. Why make it worse for you and anyone that cares about you or any family members that want to see you get out? Just yeah. just because you don't like the rule. And a lot of the guys get that. Oh yeah. They well, they're rolling with it. Know when to make a stand. Like 
I mean, <laughs> am, am I going to make a stand because I didn't squeegee the shower after I got out? I mean, like, I'm not. I mean, that doesn't sound really super important. If it was something that where, I mean, this was legitimately a violation of my rights or something like that, I might make a stand for that. But that's a hard stand, man. And you better be willing to, you know, go through some. I'm not going to say punishment, just some hard times as a result of that. I mean, it's just it's just tough because I I, I would just say that. Don't get me wrong. I think they deserve to be upset for a second, and then they get to kind of wrap their minds around it. That's the whole point of those groups and everything is yeah. kind of getting them to that point. Um, but again, I think you know when you're looking at that and saying, okay, well, how do I work around this now? Now, I'm, and I'm not saying manipulate. They're not. I think I want to know how to problem solve. I want to see some good problem solving among these guys because I mean it's just weird. I mean the idea of this this whole this whole working through shame and stuff like that the going back to kind of how you were starting this was, well, if we just make them feel so horrible about themselves and they won't do this again. And and if you really just take a minute to think about that, that doesn't add up. Like the idea that every one of these guys were at the top of their game, living life to the fullest, that's when they committed their sex offense. It's exactly the opposite. I mean, they were at a point where they, they didn't really care much about themselves or anybody else. And life didn't really matter from one day to the next as to what happened. And so they were, it made sense to them. Again, I, I mean, if you want to have true empathy for this, is try to think about what set of circumstances would would a sexual offense make sense to you. And I get maybe some people might not be able to wrap their minds around that, right? And I I still struggle with that. Like, what what when would that make sense? I I don't know. I don't know what set of events or history or mindset that that's going to lead to, but it exists because they did that. So I mean, it's counterintuitive that we're trying to say, well, no, we're we want these guys to be invested in their lives. We want these guys to be digging their lives because they have hurt people and those people are never going to forgive them in some cases and they get to do that. They get to make that decision. And I'm not saying you get to be, you know, cool with sex offenders. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the one thing that's going to stop them from committing another offense or recidivating is that if they they value what's going on in their life right now such that they don't want to destroy it. And that is if you're guiding that by guilt, they're less likely to do those things. So reinforcing this shame stuff just doesn't fit. And like, you know, rules and all the rest of it, I mean, we just need to teach them to adapt. They're much stronger. They feel better when they are able to adapt to those rules. They're proud of themselves. Yeah, I was just going to say that's that's part of it. And I know we've talked about this off the podcast, but when people will come into group or they'll come into into an individual session complaining about a new rule or something like that, if my first thing is to shut them down, you know, some of the classic statements like, well, if you don't like that, you shouldn't have come, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) But that that goes more of like the shame kind of thing. Like, yeah, if you weren't a piece of shit, you wouldn't have to follow this rule. They're not going to leave that session. Like, oh, man, he's so right. I, I <laughs> right. really need to start following oh, the rules. Damn, I never or, thought of it. Or if I spend 20 minutes with the guy, like, oh, dude, that does freaking suck. Yeah, like losing your phone call, dude, that probably sucks to not talk to your family. Like, yeah, I'd be frustrated about that rule too. Like, actually see kind of the human side of it and then talk to them through it. Kind of show them, like, yeah, you are a human too. Like, that would suck to go through that. Like, even if it is self-imposed, you know, it still means it sucks. Well, to, to that point... One of the very first assignments that we have these guys do in the curriculum is actively acknowledging that resistance to treatment is pretty normal. And we, we, we tell our therapists, like, hey, actually sit down with the client, help them fill out the form, uh, acknowledge that there's going to be some resistance to treatment. And uh, that, that a lot of times uh, shuts down that resistance. And then... 
Mace, one, one thing I wanted to come back to. So you were kind of talking about the thought experiment of trying to imagine what set of circumstances would have to be present in order to commit a sex offense. You know, you're talking about having empathy mm-hmm. uh, for them. And, and again, I think a lot of people bristle at that idea because there's still this idea that to have empathy for somebody also means that to some degree you're endorsing what's what's happening because with understanding comes um, – you know, endorsing it. And I, I know that's not what you're saying to do. Right, right. Uh, <clears throat> the, so I, I wanted to emphasize that because, again, I think it's useful for the listeners for, you know, if you're a therapist listening to this, uh, do, do that. Do the work. It's uncomfortable. It's uh, – and, again, it's not, it's not saying that you're going to do it or whatever, but uh, imagining what your life would have to be like and what the set of circumstances would have to be to violate consent to get your sexual needs met is well it, if nothing else if it's if it's hard for you to imagine exactly what would have to be the case you can probably at least try to understand like well would you be in a happy place in your life or would you be in a pretty uh, down and depressed state of your life it, it, even if just starting there like which 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 is more likely you know i I think most people will land on now things would have to be cataclysmically wrong with everything that I have going for me right now. And, you know, there's outliers. There's there's people that have committed a sex offense when all things considered, it seems like things were going okay. But man, those are the exception. I don't think these the type of approaches we're talking about are going to help with those guys either in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah, again, I'm not. And when I say have empathy, I'm not saying like start having sexual fantasies about kids or anything. Like, <laughs> don't, that don't. What I'm saying is, is try to imagine a world in which that made sense. Because what we're taking into consideration is that at one point or another in our clients' lives, it made s- sense for them to commit a sexual offense. So I think they struggle with it too. I think they look back on it and they're like, I don't even know how I made sense with this. And that's what the whole clarifying values exercise is about. Because a lot of, I mean, so what we what we essentially do is we give them a list of values, but we also want them to value things too. And these, a value is just something that you find important in your life, right? Well, and one we, thing one thing that I've noticed oh, yeah. that happens. Sorry to cut you off. No, you're good. Um, one of the assignments that we have to explain to to people if they aren't familiar with it, so we get into one where it explores life history factors and lifestyle right. factors. Where life history factors are things that I've done or things that have happened to me in the past that I cannot change that maybe played a role in my offending. Mm-hmm. And I even have a fair amount of clients that don't like doing that one because they felt like, well, it wasn't anyone else. His fault, you know, it was my fault. I I chose, and, and you have to kind of explain to them, like, yeah, I agree. You got to own your actions, but it's also okay to open the door to say, hey, what kind of things did I maybe go through that happened to me that I didn't deserve or ask for that played a role? And I think sometimes therapists fear going down that road too, because it's like, oh, I'm going to justify why it happened. Well, it, it, is that bad? That's not necessarily no. a bad thing. You're helping them understand it. Yes, you made a choice, and that is on you. Mm-hmm. But it's also okay to look at what kind of things happened that steered me in that direction that made that choice I, easier. I like the word influence. Yeah. You know, what like th- these factors didn't cause you to do this, but they might have influenced you. And sure. so that, that that seems to help them bypass that natural hurdle you're talking about mm-hmm. to where – because, again, sometimes clients don't even need us to do that for them. They're hesitant to even like, – like today I was running a group, and – uh, the the guy had committed a sex offense while he was drunk, and he like you know he, he was bringing up his offense as a part of a story that he was telling. But it, multiple times he kept 
like falling all over himself to make sure that we knew that he wasn't blaming alcohol mm-hmm. for his offense, like to, to the point that it was getting in the way of his story. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, I got it. I got it. Yeah. You're, you're owning it. And I, I, I kind of sold him on that idea too. I was like, look, man, you can, you can at least acknowledge that the alcohol had an influence on your decision-making while still simultaneously owning your decision. That seemed to, I mean, again, it's just a, just a word change, semantics, sure. mace, but it's, but it, but it kind of helped him at least be like, okay, yeah. All right. It influenced. No, I, if you're using semantics to kind of explain something, I'm saying, I'm saying don't limit the conversation that the client's going to have. I just want it to be organic. But I mean, I, I think what you were saying, Justin's like, it, it is really important. I mean, yeah, they didn't, we all had bad shit happen to us in our lives. I mean, that's life, right? The difference is, is they made decisions after those things happened Mm -hmm. that became kind of lifestyle factors that were part of this. So there's, I mean, whatever recipe a client gives me as to what's happened in their history, there's another person out there that's gone through that same thing and they lead perfectly happy lives right now. Mm -hmm. There's no, so there's no, you know, guarantee or like recipe for a sex offender. You know, there's no such thing. It's, it's. I think you focus on, yes, I can't control those awful things that do happen to me. I can't control how I respond to them, right? And that's going to be a lot of, again, kind of what the value stuff is, is because the the exercise, I think, in a lot of ways, and this is helpful for if anybody were doing this, like if you were talking about a substance abuse person, somebody who committed a crime, or if you were a therapist and you said, okay, well, I, this is what I have to imagine. We, we kind of give them a list of it's like there, I think there's like 50 different values that are on that thing, right? There's a yeah, ton. There's a lot. And then we force them to rank them in their top 10. And one of the things that they always say is they're like, man, all these are important. Every one of these. And I say, well, yeah. So I'm going to force you to rank your top 10 on these, right? Which is like, damn, I want you to label them, right? Just label one, two, three, five, six, seven, nine, and 10. Then I want you to to tell me what the top four are. Well, well, no, those are my top ten. I know, but I want to hear the four most important things that there were in there. So then you take a sexual offense and say, look, at one point or another in your life, your sexual offense superseded every one of those. Now, again, that's where I have to say I can't imagine a circumstance where all those things would, would be superseded by a sex offense, but there was a circumstance that existed out there. That's what we're trying to acknowledge. And the idea there is, is okay, with each one of these elements, it might be a trickle effect. It's not like a flood. Sometimes it's a trickle effect onto each one of these, these uh, values, and I feel the guilt, and that's reinforcing the shame. So we're saying as time goes on, look, if one of these values, if you're not living up to this value, pay attention to that. That's super important. If you're living all these values, how on earth could you commit a sex offense? This is a relapse prevention plan in and of itself. If I have this value system that's put into place and I know when I'm violating that, if I say, "Ah, I got to get back on track, you are much less likely to convict or commit a sex offense if you're doing those things. That's kind of the practice we're saying. That's the importance of having those values. So same thing when we talk about, um, I know some clients get wrapped up in this because there was a guy who had gone to Sexaholics Anonymous and he was talking about some of the values that were bestowed on him from there and he's talking about higher power and of course, all the clients like roll their eyes and everything. I'm like, well, think about what a value is. Like, I mean, where do these values come from? I mean, do you think, I'm not saying that they came down from God. What I'm saying is we can all agree that these things are important. Isn't that, I mean, these are just things that are way more important than us. These are just things that are important because they're important. Why are they important? Who said they're important? Well, we did. 
that's if anything's a higher power, you can say my value system is my higher power. It's going to guide what I do moving forward. I don't need to say this is a god. I just have a value system. Religion's helpful because it prescribes a value ses- a set to you, but I don't need it. I can d- I can define it for myself, and it's as meaningful if I choose for it to be. That's a nice. That's a nice fill in for people that don't believe in God. I, I, I don't think I'd considered a value system as being at least, at least in the sense of what we talk about it, the higher power thing in treatment with the AA model. Yeah. What? Cause yeah, I mean, isn't the idea of a higher power is it supposed to be something bigger than yourself or outside of your own immediate, I forget exactly how it's worked around, but Man, I don't know. Explain that more, dude. I don't think I've ever thought of a value system as being like a potential substitute for the idea of a higher power. Well, just think about what religion is, right? Set it's of just, values. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, values it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a prescribed set of living your life in recognition of this is the way we live our life for for this particular – this is how we worship. So it says do these things because they're important, right? Yeah. yeah it's yeah. just prescribed. And I'm not knocking religions. There's hardly any religion out there that says to do bad things, right? Most of them, if not all of them, have a pretty good message. And if mm-hmm. you follow them to a T, you're probably going to be a pretty good dude, right? I'm saying that devoid of that. So if you're choosing to say, well, I'm not religious, okay, that's fine. Nobody's saying don't do that. That doesn't mean now I live a life with no values. Right. You have to you, – this this allows you to predetermine those values. So this is me saying, well, yeah, I, I like this set of values more than that set of values, and here's what I disagree with. I get to de- develop for myself. And in that respect, it ought to be more meaningful to you. It should be way more meaningful to you. If you're telling me that religion is is something that you don't – um, appreciate, you don't believe in because you disagree with certain elements, okay, fine. We'll write up your own set of values. It's not You're not rewriting a religion. You're just prescribing your own set of values for yourself that are more important for you, that are more meaningful for you. But it's unlikely that those are going to be bad things too. So again, if everybody's kind of operating under that, that assumption, it's all going to be a good thing. That va- values... And what we find to be important, that's that's bigger than us. That's way more important than us. I mean, those just the we and we can all agree on those things, you know? It's probably a good idea that those things are in our lives. And that I don't know where that comes from. That was just shit we made up along the way. And we said it's important. If that's not more meaningful than just me, then I don't know what a higher power is. Uh, that that's actually really good to hear because that I mean there's an idea there that some people have that if you don't have religion, then you don't have a, a moral basis or a basis for a value system, which is just not accurate, you know? And, and, and so again, I, I think that that's, that's pretty good for people that might not necessarily follow a, a specific religion to see that a, a value system doesn't have to necessarily come down from high, from on high, and that it can be something based on just, uh, just kind of a, almost a humanist mutual self-respect of, you know, the, those, you know, looking out for mankind, all those great things, but really just the, the, the things that you value and things that are important to you. And like you said, even at this most simple level, those typically aren't criminal pursuits. They're Mm -hmm. typically, you know, the, all the, all the things that whether or not you have religion come up when you're when you're discussing values. Well, right. What's the first What's the first commandment? Thou shall not kill. Is it? What about people that wear true religion jeans? You yeah, now if they good? wear true religion jeans, then they're they're, good people, their values are way. Those are high value jeans. 
<laughs> like if you yeah. so just think about that for a minute. Thou shalt not kill. I think that's the first commandment, right? Yeah, uh, maybe. Why not? Maybe it's Who one knows? of them. Obviously, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. What if I just said it's probably a good idea we don't all kill each other? Can we agree on that? Yeah. I like that. We can all agree on that. But yeah. you don't find that in any other animal. Do you find find that in bears? You think bears? <laughs> hey, bro, you okay with kids, not? Man. No, dude, they don't <laughs> give two shits about each other. So I'm just saying. Yeah. That and it, and it has to do with how intelligent we are, of course, and we have morals and values that guide our behavior. And I'm yeah. saying, just respect that. Have a respect for the fact that those exist, and have a respect that that when you violate them, that's a big signal that you're violating your value system, and it, it don't take it lightly. And if you feel guilty about it, awesome. You should feel it's guilty about that. That's yeah. a good thing. You have a conscience, brother. That's that's good that you feel that way. So. I mean, it has a whole lot more to do with that we can intelligently think abstractly about things that are good for all of us um, and that kind of interconnectedness of human beings all together. Yeah, that's good. And if you're getting them on that and following a good value system, they're much better set for success at that point. Oh, that seems like a good wrap good it up, wrap son. Up, yeah. oh, wrap it one. up. Not that, Justin. Put it away. <laughs> it's good. I got the sock out. Yeah. I was talking about his microphone, folks. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, okay. Until next week. Bye. Wait, next month, Wait, year. Next, whenever, yeah, whenever. See you later. It's just a whenever at this point. Bye. All right. That is a wrap on this episode of the Gorilla Social Work Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Join us on our next episode as we will have Mr. Edward Cook from Prime Polygraph join us. So I think he will be our first repeat guest. Maybe I'm wrong. But he'll be back on the show with the next episode. and He will talk about some of the changes in the world of polygraphs and also how they are used at the federal level. I think there was a case he was involved in. So he will be on the show and he will update us on that. Until then, check us out on all the social media websites that we've neglected for like the past five business months. And one of these days, we'll get those back up and running. And until then, we will see you on the next episode.